Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. All right, good morning, Cove Grace. So we're going to be in John 3, starting in verse 1 and all the way to verse 15. So verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the word of the Lord. So, um, as you guys know, last night was Halloween, and um, some, some of you guys don't celebrate, and that's cool. Um, if you are looking for an alternative, okay, we have our harvest festivals and things like that, right? But if you're looking for another alternative, a really cool alternative would be, and I'd highly recommend um, Reformation Day. What? Right there? Good. Yeah, Reformation Day, right? So October 31st, 1517 was when Martin Luther took the 95 disagreements that he had with the Catholic Church at that time and nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, right? With the intent of reforming the church and having a lively debate about it. And what he did was actually spark the Protestant Reformation. And I'm thinking if you started doing that next year and like did a good practice run next year, the year following is the 500th anniversary. You could have a massive nerd party <laughs> over this. And uh, the costumes would be epic. You could be either Martin Luther or Katie Luther, uh, depending on your gender, and it would be awesome. We could have like a like hundred Luthers, you know, with that bald monk head. This could be awesome, okay? This is my plan. Let's build up to it. We got two years, you know, for the excitement to build. But um, we went uh, trick-or-treating in our neighborhood, and uh, we live right over here in Canyon Hills. And our, it's a brand-new neighborhood. We just got there two months ago, so it was a really cool time to, like, connect with neighbors and meet them and stuff like that. It was really good. And, um, and they're so into Halloween there. It's ridiculous. They, did you know there's Halloween lights now? Like, I have a hard enough putting time putting up Christmas lights, but Halloween colors are apparently uh, orange and purple, because you can't do black. You know, that doesn't make a good light. And so these guys are, like, super decorated and stuff like that, and we were really weak. We had, like, a little thing with bats, and, like, we put, a, like, a little bit of spider web over our house, and that was it, you know? So we need to step it up. But there's this street right next to ours, and they've been there since March. They have a little more time. And they're, like, the party street. 
they always have like their kids out. They should have been in a cul-de-sac because it's just a straight run. They always have their kids in the street and they're always like doing things. There was one guy that had his, his garage all blacked out and with fog machine and black lights and we want to be them. I mean, our street really needs to step it up. But um, my son, Mason, he's 13, and uh, this is kind of like, he's a little beyond the years when you can go up and get candy, and the parents go, oh, that's cute, you know, because he's like this tall. And so, but, and, he, and he chose to wear a gorilla suit, and the gorilla suit's like a full-body gorilla suit, which was super hot, you know? He didn't plan ahead, like maybe in Alaska, but not here. And there were a lot of downsides. It was, it was a little bit small for him, so we're like constantly putting the Velcro back on. It was super hot. He terrified the kids, which was good, but he was so sweaty and exhausted when he got done. He just went home and went, went right to sleep. And I was thinking this morning, strangely, this is a transition into this text, um, which is, I was thinking this morning about the gorilla suit, and I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about that our view of religion often starts with it being kind of like that gorilla suit. So uh, that religion's something that you just kind of put on, and it, and it doesn't really fit you, it's kind of, you know, tight and constricting and uncomfortable, potentially sweaty. And, um, and it's something that maybe you just put on occasionally because it's so uncomfortable to put on, you know. And it's something that perhaps when you put it on, you're frightening, you know, like that gorilla suit. Um, the thing that Nicodemus is going to learn in this passage, though, is that Jesus has come to bring us not a religion that we put on over us, but he's come to change us from the inside out. So that what the gospel that he brings, the messages he brings, is that he's going to change us from the inside out. So it won't be like we're wearing some uncomfortable costume that's not really us. It'll be like we are actually living out what's inside of us. Does that make sense? And so um, Nicodemus, it's a really interesting passage because Nicodemus is this secret seeker, right? See that in chapter 3? He's a secret seeker. He comes to Jesus by night. It says in verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. He says he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees have a really bad rap, you know, throughout the Gospels. It's like, you know, they hear Pharisee, and it's like, dun, dun, dun. But really, out of the options of religious leaders during that time, they were actually kind of the good guys. They were at least cons conservative theologically. They weren't like the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. Sadducees didn't believe in eternal life, really. They didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why they were... Sad, you see. Okay, if you've been in the church a while, you know that one. It's good, easy to remember. They were theological liberals. Now, the Pharisees were conservative. And he was not only a Pharisee, but he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, which was even a more elite level of leadership. Probably didn't make his living as a religious leader. It was probably something that was a lay thing, a volunteer thing. And, but he comes to Jesus by night. And why does he come to Jesus by night? He comes because Nicodemus and actually some of the other Pharisees, he uses the term we here, had come to think that maybe there's something to Jesus. They saw his signs, they hear his teaching, and they're thinking, maybe, 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 he's really come from God. And Nicodemus, though, he has a lot to lose. You know, before he openly follows Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to make sure that Jesus really is who he said he is, and so he comes because he's got a lot to lose. There was a lot for Jews to lose during that time. If you're a first century Jew and you came to follow Jesus, um, you could have lost your family, you could have lost your job, you could have lost your friends, been ostracized by your community um, to be persecuted. And he had even more to lose, right? Because he's really high up. If he puts him as support behind a guy that turns out to be just kind of a fly-by-night, you know, religious leader, he has a lot to lose. So he wants to be sure. And this was a time in Israel when there were lots of, quote-unquote, messiahs coming. There were lots of teachers that were doing certain signs. So he needs to be sure. 
And so he comes secretly. That happens today too, doesn't it? Think about other countries. Um, there's many persecuted countries where a person's going to investigate Jesus secretly for some time before they really come out and say, I'm following Jesus. That happens even in our culture in certain families, right? That if you were to become a Christian, you're going to get a whole lot of trouble from your family. Um, when we uh, were having a small group in our house a couple years ago, there was a girl that was coming and her mom was actually a secret seeker. She had actually started reading the Bible on her Kindle so that it wouldn't look like she was reading a Bible. And because she knew that her husband would just go ballistic, you know, if, if she were to come to follow Jesus. And so she was investigating secretly like Nicodemus. Verse 2 says, Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, notice he, he addressed him really respectfully. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Nicodemus seems like a man of great humility and integrity. I like him. You know, he seems like a very likable character. He's seeking. He wants to know. And he's got an implied question. He's not really asking a question, but he is asking a question. He says a few things about Jesus. And what he's really saying, his implied question is, do I have that right? Are you really a teacher that's come from God? Is God really with you? What he's doing here is he's, he's Nicodemus is kind of a, a religious gatekeeper to his community. And he's making sure, does Jesus fit in our religion? Does Jesus, is he somebody that could be inside the kingdom? Is he somebody that's one of us? And notice what Jesus does. What does he do? He changes the question, right? Jesus does this a lot because he knows the questions we should be asking. And he knows the answers we need. Look at verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What Nicodemus was saying is, who are you? Do you fit into my religion? You know, I'm the gatekeeper here. Are you somebody that's in or not? And you know what Jesus says? He goes, Nicodemus, actually, I like you. You're not the gatekeeper. In fact, not only are you not the gatekeeper, you're not even inside the gate. You're not even inside the kingdom yet. You need to be born again. And this rocks Nicodemus. This is totally confusing to this man. Nicodemus says in verse 4, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's taking Jesus way too literally. And this happens a lot. When you read through the scriptures and when you're reading Jesus, you need to know that he uses tons of symbolism, doesn't he? Symbolism, metaphor, it's super artsy, right? There's all this, you know, ways that you kind of need to read uh, what he's doing. Um, rich metaphors and symbolism. And Nicodemus is missing it. In our passage, there's a ton of metaphors. And this is something I kind of struggle with prepping this is there's almost too many metaphors. You know, we've got like the new birth we're going to look at. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit works like wind. And then before we're done, we're going to actually see skeletons and a snake. So we got all kinds of stuff going on here. It's perfect for Halloween. Um, and if you're an artsy type, artsy person, this is, a, this is a perfect Sunday for you. Jesus replies to him, verse 5, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, unless you do this, you're not even in. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. But you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? This is super hard for Nicodemus to understand. And it's not only hard for him to understand because he doesn't understand the symbolism. It's rocking his whole religious thinking, okay? For a guy like Nicodemus, as humble as he is and as upright and, and his integrity to come to Jesus and find out he's not even in the kingdom, rocks him. Because, you know, Nicodemus would have thought the way they thought during that time. He would have thought the entrance in the kingdom was largely based on race. It was largely about your racial identity. 
Their thought during that time was that all Jews, unless you were like a notorious sinner, would be admitted into the kingdom. That you were in the kingdom because of your national identity. And so um, there would be no question that a guy like him, a Jewish man who is strictly keeping God's law, would be in. It would be a given. All the people in his community knew it. That's how he got to be such a leader. His people knew it. And he, but look at what Jesus is expecting him to believe. He's expecting him to believe that as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the Jews, as a teacher of Israel, that he wasn't in. And Jesus adds to that. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to get born again. You actually need to start all over as a baby. Not well. Here's a guy that's the leader. He's, he, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. This is a very important man. And he says, you know what? You need to start again as a baby. And it blows his mind. Nicodemus is finding that the gospel of Jesus is nothing like the religion he's known and taught others for years. But what's interesting is that Jesus acts like Nicodemus should have known. Did you notice that? You know, he tells him these things, and then he's like, how can this be? And he goes, oh, he doesn't go, oh, I can see. It's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? He goes, you should know this. Why should he know this? Um, If you take a look at verse 5, Jesus says in there, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... Um, any teacher of the Hebrew scriptures that saw that combination of water and the spirit in this context should have known, it should have come to mind, Ezekiel 36. Take a look at Ezekiel 36. It's real important that you turn there. And then a little bit later we'll be in Ezekiel 37, so it would be a really good spot for you to be. But in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, there's a great description of this new birth. This thing that Jesus is talking about is not something he just made up. It's not something that God just unveiled. It's something that actually the Old Testament scriptures taught about. It taught about people undergoing a new birth. Take a look at Ezekiel 36, 25. God speaking here says, I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you shall be cleansed from all of your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Jesus is talking about here? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my words. You see in that passage, this combination of water and the spirit, this is something Nicodemus should have picked up on in Jesus' words. Because this is a passage really about the new birth. And look at what the new birth does. So cool, look at this. Ezekiel 36. Look at verse 26. This is it in this new birth that we get a new living heart. We get a live heart. It says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll remove a heart of stone. In the scriptures, this term heart is really the core of you. It's the center of you. It's the, it's the place from which all of your thoughts and feelings and choices just flow out of, right? Um, the, uh, the, the Psalms talk about that, how, the, how it's out of the heart that flows your very, very life. And what he's saying here is before you had the new birth, you didn't have a live heart. What did you have? A heart of stone. You know, that you were insensitive to God's presence and leading. Do you guys remember what that was like? I mean, for those of you who got saved more recently, maybe in the last couple weeks, couple months, couple years, and you can remember back to when you really just had no feeling for God. You didn't feel his presence. You didn't feel his direction. You were, um, like Ephesians talks about, dead to him. Ephesians talks about us being spiritually dead before we're uh, born again. You were the spiritual walking dead, weren't you? Like, like, and, and you think, like, what do you mean dead? You know, I was alive. Well, it's like this. Have you ever had a person that you were kind of dead to? There have been so many conflicts, so many things that you'd basically gotten kind of dead to the person. You know, you just, there was no feeling towards them. That's what it's like to be spiritually dead. 
that you didn't care about God. You weren't wondering, yeah, what does God have to say about this? Or, you know, I wonder where God's in this. He wasn't on your radar. You didn't care. Except maybe in some sort of crisis event, you know, then you care. Um, And now what happened? He says here that he's given you a new heart so that you can know and feel and respond to God. Guys, this is miraculous. I mean, you guys who have been saved a while, you might not think about it this way, but you were given a birth from above. You were given life from another realm. That's wild. There's something in you now, your new living heart, your heart for God, that is not human, right? It's something that heaven has put into you, that God has put into you. Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. You have something in you that is not human, it's heavenly. Isn't that wild? Do you think about that? You just sit around and go like, I'm not all human here. Like there's a part of me that is not naturally human. This is a heart that God has given me for him. A way to connect with him that I didn't have before. What else does Ezekiel say? It says we're given a live heart. It says we were given an inhabited heart. Check this out, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you. Do you realize as a Christian that you are never alone? That God himself dwells in your body, in your carcass. God lives. You are, in a way, haunted. Like, there is somebody other than you inside your body, and it's God. Isn't that wild? I mean, we need to think about this more, because we get kind of like, you know, we're lonely, or we're thinking, you know, I can never change, or, you know, you're feeling hopeless about your level of spiritual growth. God lives in you. We really need to remember this. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and the Bible talks about fruit of the Spirit. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit's life leaking out through your body. It's leaking out through your life. So we've been given a live heart, an inhabited heart. We've been given an obedient heart. Look at verse 27. That I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Guys, there was a time, you remember it, when God's commandments were burdensome. You know, you'd read them and maybe you thought, well, some of these are good, but a lot of these are real burdensome. I don't really want to be put under all this, right? And, and, but now, now that you've had the new birth, you increasingly want to do what God wants to do. Isn't that cool? It's a wonderful thing to want to do the things God wants you to do. And that's because of the new birth. That's supernatural. God gave you a heart that actually, it was stone, but now it's a live heart. And it's a heart that actually has the ability to grow and change and be transformed more and more so that you agree with God and his commands. That's a tremendous gift. That's a huge gift. Jesus talked about like the easy yoke and the light burden, right? He said, take upon me my yoke because uh, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And before you were a Christian, or maybe even early on, you thought, like, this yoke doesn't feel light. This burden feels heavy. Well, what happens? As God gradually changes our heart to more delight in his commands, that new heart he's given, as it gets transformed, what happens? We more and more agree with him. The yoke becomes lighter. The burden becomes lighter. His commandments are not burdensome, as it says in 1 John 5. This new birth, guys, is a huge difference between the message of Jesus and the message of man-made religions. Man-made religions, this is the best they can do for you, is give you some commands and tell you to go live them, right? That's what religions do. That's all they can do. Here's some commands, go live them. Why do we have so many religions? They're super easy to make, okay? You come up with a list of commands, and you say, now go do them. And you got all kinds of different ceremonies and stuff like that, but they're all basically the same. Here's some commands, go do them. That's the best they can do. The gospel says, here's a new heart, go live out of it. Isn't that cool? The difference is massive. So one is, here's some commands, go do them. The other one says, here's a new living heart, go live from it. John Piper says that the new birth doesn't just give us new duties, it gives us new delights. 
That's the difference. The difference between somebody that knows the Lord and doesn't know the Lord is it is a transformed heart, a heart that actually delights in what God wants to do. And it's not that every part, I mean, guys, okay, honestly, reading through the Bible, and you get to that part, right, that's got some sort of thing that you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, and you read faster, right? You know, or you go like, ah, I should have remembered not to go to this chapter, right? <laughs> we all have those things, right? We all have those things that we're like, ooh, not yet, you know? What I'm saying from this is that the new birth is gradually changing us into the kind of people that delight in everything that's in here. I'm looking forward to that. That's the kind of person I want to be, right? I want to continue to guard my heart and grow my heart by the power of the Spirit so that I will delight in everything that's in here. Might not be able to do it all, but I want to do it all. And that's the difference. It's a wanting to do it. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you guys have read The Pilgrim's Progress? It might be required to get into the kingdom of God. So um, they're not positive. No, I'm just messing with you. Um, it would be really worth reading. It uh, was written in the 1600s by a guy named John Bunyan. No relation to Paul Bunyan. Um, but it's a great little allegory about the Christian life, and it's super powerful and amazing, and it's, it transformed lives. Um, the Lord's used it in big ways. But this is what John Bunyan said about this idea of a transformed heart. He said, it's poetic, Run, John, run, the law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. That's the difference, is that with the gospel, the batteries are included. With the gospel, the power is included. With the gospel, there's a heart included in the package that can live for God. And that's the difference. It's a new heart to live from. So what's Jesus doing? Let's go back to our conversation here, but keep your finger in Ezekiel 36, 37. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that this new birth is needed before he can enter or even see the kingdom. And this is mind-blowing. I mean, Nicodemus, with his caliber of knowledge and gifts and understanding and integrity, and Jesus is saying, I don't just need to fix a few parts of you. The whole thing's got to go. Okay, and if you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm not like a notorious sinner. I'm not a really bad person, pretty good person. I know I have my flaws. Okay, Jesus is saying to you, he doesn't just want to fix part of you, he wants to give you a whole new being. He wants to give you a whole new being. Nicodemus needs something so radical to happen to him that Jesus compares it to being born. And we've all seen that, right? Have you guys all seen that? Okay, you can watch a video later and you can see that. Okay, I'm sure there's somebody that posted their birth videos on YouTube. This is something that is so radical. He's saying, you have to start over. He's, like, he's not going like, Nicodemus, you're a good guy. And he is a good guy. We'd all like Nicodemus, okay? None of us are like, oh, that guy. He's not one of those dun-dun-dun Pharisees, right? He'd come in here, we'd all love him, we'd have a good time, maybe, you know, want to put him in charge or something, you know? He's a great guy. And Jesus looks at him, he goes, he doesn't go, ah, I can work with this and that. He's like, you got to be born again. Not oh, wow, radical. And some of you guys, I know when you hear that, you're thinking, awesome, I want to. <laughs> Isn't that great to just think, Jesus is not offering you some plan of reformation. He's planning, he's offering you a whole new start, a whole new life. The poet Tennyson said this, he said, Ah, for, the man, for a man to arise in me, and the man that I am cease to be. You guys ever feel like that? You guys ever think like, man, if somebody new could arise in me, and my old self ceases to be, that'd be awesome. We've all been brought to that place. That's what he's offering. I heard this really cool story this week. So we're in this new neighborhood, and we're meeting our neighbors and stuff, and it's been kind of fun like, kind of figuring out where they're at spiritually and stuff like that, so there's that whole, like, hey, you know. And you're... So our neighbor was, uh, he said a few kind of God-type things, you know, 
And I'm like, so, you know, we did that. And, um, and I was asking him, I said, you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, I just became a Christian seven years ago. And he's almost 70. Really cool guy. Really cool guy. Amazing story, which I, I, I can't tell here. But um, it was really neat because he said to me, he goes, Eric, I'm nearly 70, but I'm really only seven. You know? And it was just so awesome to just see him say that. And Nicodemus said, can a man be born when he's old? Yes. A man can be born again when he's old. It happens all the time. Jesus can do it. The new birth, guys, this, this new heart is the most amazing gift you could receive. Like, we were doing this whole, like, hey, what's the best gift you received? And we kind of head you off there by not letting you say Jesus or <laughs> my spouse or whatever. Baby, you're the best gift, you know? Like, we're not letting you do that. Um, this is the best gift you could receive. I mean, think about it. Like, if you didn't have a new heart, how would you get one? You can't get one. Like, this is a gift you cannot get. There's certain gifts that are kind of handmade or rare or things like this. This is spirit-made and rare. There's no way you can get one, you know, unless you were given it as a gift. It's the most amazing surgery. You've had a new, you have a new heart. And um, as believers, guys, we need to remember this. I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but we need to remember that the, what the new birth has given us. Because a lot of times I'm talking to people about their, you know, their sin issues and counseling things. There's, there's a sense sometimes with Christians where there's a kind of a lack of hope. Like, I've changed as much as I'm going to change. Like, there may be, like, some little areas maybe that'll get a little bit better, but I'm basically what you see is what you get. And we even say it to each other, right? Well, I'm just that kind of person, okay? What are we saying? We're not really believing in the new birth. We're not really believing that we've been given a heart that can be transformed. What are we saying? I'm just going to stay this way. Guys, you've been given a new heart, and the Holy Spirit inhabits you. You should have great hope for you to change. You should have great hope for your spouse to change. What does it look like when you have great hope for your spouse to change? You pray for them, you maybe model a few things, and you let the Spirit do it. Okay, what does it look like when you don't trust the Spirit to change your spouse? You become the Holy Spirit. And there's, it's a trinity, guys. There's no fourth member that's you, okay? And there's no, like, job vacancy there. He transforms hearts. And so when we believe it, we have this great confidence, right? As there is no area of spiritual growth where you're stuck. There is no, there is no sin that you have to be enslaved to. And we need to remember this because it's so easy to get discouraged and complacent, right, and settle. That's what we do, right? We just kind of settle. Um, you know, it's um, look at the fruit of the Spirit in, in Ephesians. Fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things the Spirit does. He lives in you. We can actually start to learn over time. It's a process to actually have more and more have the Spirit live through us. And I just think, look through that list today and think, which one do I want to grow in? Like, don't settle. Don't assume that's not you. You know, I'm just not a person that has self-control. That's not true. You're the kind of person who has a brand new heart from heaven and the Holy Spirit living inside said heart. Okay? So you are that kind of person. You can be that kind of person. So just think, what part do you want to renovate? You know, with our moving thing, um, there's a ton of energy when you move. Have you ever noticed that? There has to be, okay? So we move all the stuff, right? And we have all of this plans for the new house, right? And so we're pinning things. Maybe my wife's pinning things and I'm not, depending on if that's okay or not. So you're pinning things, you know, of things you want to do. And uh, I mean, there's shelves and painting and all this stuff. And you're all excited, right? We're going to move in. We're going to do this. And for the first couple weeks, maybe you do, you know? And then what do you do? You settle, and it could be decades later, and you still haven't done it. And there's that pressure, like my wife, she likes to unwind at the end of the night, you know, and she's pinning things. And I know what that is. That's a list for me to do. 
you know, so it's not relaxing for me. She's like, oh, that'd be nice. Oh, this would be nice. I'm like, ah, you know, so she's relaxing. I'm not. But you settle. And guys, the same thing happens in the spiritual life, right? When you first become a Christian, all this energy, let's do this. A little bit later, you start to get discouraged and you settle. As spiritually speaking, you actually have an unlimited budget to work with in renovating your heart and the best possible help, right? The Holy Spirit to do this. And this is a process, and this is something that takes a lifetime, but it's something that he really wants to help us do. And so where do you plan to renovate this year? Look at that list of the fruits of the Spirit. Come up with some goals that are based on Scripture. Any command of Scripture is really something that you could actually learn to do. That's why it's there. And because you have the Spirit, you can do that. And I just say, get some help, you know. Find some friends that could give you accountability or kind of cheer you on. Get in a small group. We have small groups on Thursday and Friday. Get connected to community. That always helps. Um, get some coaching, you know, get a mentor, get somebody that kind of, you know, to talk to and, and grow. Guys, you've been born again. Live into that. Um, now, why I'm saying this, you guys might be thinking, um, there are people that I care about that I want to have this. Did anybody think about that as we were talking about? You're like thinking, there are people in my life, friends, family members, coworkers, um, that I want to have this new birth. I really want this for them. Like, this is a gift I really want them to receive. And you might ask, how do we get people born again? Wouldn't that be cool? How do we get them born again? How do we sign them up? You know? And the answer to the question from this text is really in John is we don't, right? The Spirit does, right? And he does it in a mysterious way. And that's where the second metaphor is. He does it like wind. Take a look at John 3, 8. He does it like wind. Don't you love how like, artistic Jesus is? Listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. And you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying that when the Holy Spirit causes people to be born again, he does it like wind. And the Greek word for wind and spirit are the same, both in Greek and in Hebrew. They're the same word. And so he's using this this metaphor of wind. And what is he saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit works on people and changes their life and gives them the new birth in a few different ways. He does it, one, he does it sovereignly. Look at what it says. It says, the wind blows where it wishes. The Holy Spirit does what he wants with anyone he wants to do that with. Isn't that wild? He is sovereign. He's in control. And he can give the new birth to anyone he wants. So who should we ask for this? We should ask him, right? Like, please give spiritual life to my, to my friend, to my mom, to my dad, you know? And so he does it sovereignly. Look at it. He also does it mysteriously. Look at it in verse 8. He says, uh, that, that you don't know the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Isn't that true about the Holy Spirit's work? He's, he's mysterious, you know? You didn't see him coming. Some of you guys that got saved recently, you didn't see him coming. You weren't, like, necessarily looking for him, right? And then the wind, the Spirit, he came, and he, and he gave you the new birth. You didn't see him coming. Some of you, it was a process. Some of you, it was like you got hit by a truck, right? And then you don't see where he's going. You don't see where he's headed next, but his effects are undeniable. It says you can hear the sound of it, right? You can hear the sound of the wind. We can see the effects of the wind. We had super high wind, you know, a couple of days ago, and you could see the effects of that. Menifee has this really cool thing. So, like, in the northern hemisphere, you know, way up high, like around Alaska, they have the aurora borealis, right? Well, Menifee has um, tumbleweeds that uh, will get picked up, and they'll go in the air. And they're not going fast, but they'll go up like 100 feet in the air, and they're all spinning. There might be dozens of them. Have you seen it? It's the tumbleweed Alice. It's beautiful. It's the, it's the California lights. I don't know what they are. But, uh, but it's really weird, you know? But that's the effect of the wind. And the wind can do things. I mean, I'm a horse vet, and um, I've seen 
is where the, the wind has just like picked up a horse shelter and thrown it, you know, across the field or something. Sometimes into horses, right? It, it has undeniable effects. And he's saying the Holy Spirit has undeniable effects. You guys are examples of that, right? You guys are examples of that. You had no interest in Jesus. And then, and then the Holy Spirit just blew right in, turned your world upside down the right way, right? And changed your life. And he didn't ask. Did you notice that? You know, we talk about like, he's knocking at your heart. He didn't knock. And ask, just came in, he changed everything. And now you're like confused. You're like, I think so much differently than I did a year ago. What happened? The spirit came in and he just messed with your insights without permission. And Nicodemus is so confused about this. Look at verse 10. He says, he says, um, he says, how can these things be? And then verse 10, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? This is another thing he should have known. Where should he have known this from? Take a look at Ezekiel 37. This is where he should have known it from. It's right next to the other passage. So I, I know Nicodemus knew this section. But um, this section is really cool. So uh, Ezekiel 37, it's a great picture of the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. And, and it's a really famous one because some, some of you guys probably have heard of it. But it's the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. And, so the, and it's perfect for Halloween, and I didn't plan it that way. But Ezekiel has this vision where God leads him into this valley of dry bones. It's probably the site of like a battle, a really bad battle, right? Where there's just tons of bones left over. And so he walks into this horrible scene of all these bones, and God asks him, Ezekiel 37.3, he says, can these bones live? He asks Ezekiel this. And Ezekiel says what? Oh, Lord, you know. Like that, right? And what happens next? God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinew on you, which is like the ligaments and tendons and stuff. I will lay sinew upon you and you um, and will cause your flesh to come onto you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall be alive and you shall know that I am the Lord. This is a really cool image of God bringing spiritual life, right? These are dry bones, okay? These aren't even moist bones, you know? These aren't fresh bones. These are dry bones. And look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and listen to this, and there was a sound, and behold, rattling. Not wild? So just feel the dry bones, and they're rattling, right? The bones are rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? And these skeletons come together, right? This is this wild vision that Ezekiel's having. And then it says in verse 8, And I looked, and behold, there was sinew on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And verse 9, And then God said, Prophesy to the breath. And here's where the wind part comes in. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood, an exceeding army. And then God said, O son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, you've said, our bones are dried up, and we have no hope. Isn't that wild? It's a great picture of God's power, the Holy Spirit's power to give spiritual life to dry bones. And These are the people that we know, right? These are the people that we want to come to know the Lord. They're the ones with the dry bones, right? We don't even check their spiritual pulse, right? We don't walk up and go, like, I wonder how he's feeling. Like, there's no neck, okay? <laughs> like, this is a pile of bones, okay? There's no neck. And notice how it happened. Notice how the bones came alive. It was wind, right? It was the Holy Spirit came and caused spiritual dry bones to come up to life. And what else brought them to life? Do you see it? It's the word. Isn't that cool? It's as he spoke the word, 
The Spirit came and gave life. Guys, that's what we're trusting in as a church. That's what we're trusting in for our friends and family and coworkers that are just dry bones. They're not like kind of close. They're a bone pile. Like, how is this going to happen? Don't lose hope, guys. Don't lose hope. The Holy Spirit can, can give spiritual life to anyone. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born in the Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit mysteriously does this. He gives new birth to dry bones. Do you believe that? I think we need to be reminded of that. You know, we get discouraged about people in our lives that don't know the Lord. We need to be reminded about that. And the other thing we need to do is, I would ask you is, do you believe it enough to share the gospel word with them? Right? So Ezekiel's told, like, dry bones, prophesy over them. That looks stupid. Doesn't it? You got a pile of bones. You're going to make them alive by talking to them. Okay? It looks kind of crazy, and it feels really crazy when you've got a person that's spiritually dead, and you're going to give them the gospel. Like, that just feels like that can't possibly work. Are you with me? Do you ever feel like that? You ever, as you're saying it, feel like really weird all of a sudden? Like, I've never had this feeling before, but I feel like I'm nude. You know? Like, I just, this is so uncomfortable. This is so awkward. You're not thinking, like, this will do it. You know? They're going to come to life, right? I would just challenge you. Do you believe in this enough to give them the gospel word? And do you believe in it enough to ask the Holy Spirit to give them life? Um, my parents, I became a believer when I was 13, and then my parents didn't get saved for a, um, a lot longer. It was like 10 more years for my mom, and then my dad, it was a couple years after that. And um, I didn't believe this. I prayed for him for a while, but then it was so painful to pray, because it was just a reminder that they're not in the kingdom, and of their future, and stuff like that, that it, I just stopped praying, you know? And then God saved him, you know? And I'm not using that as an example. Stop praying, and he'll save him. But, um, but I had lost hope in this, guys. Don't lose hope. And part of the reason I didn't think they'd become believers is because I thought, well, they're older. What did Nicodemus say? Can a person be born again when they're old? Yes. You know? And, and he saved them powerfully. And it's so wild because I remember just a couple years after my dad got saved, which is even a weird thing to say, um, we're driving along, we're going to get, pick up food for the family and stuff, and my dad just starts talking, and he never talked about spiritual things growing up, ever. He was actually... Um, that's another story. But he never talked about spiritual things ever. And we're driving along, and he's all, yeah, I was talking to this guy, and I was just telling him how you can't pick and choose from the Bible. It's either all of it or none. And as I'm driving, I'm like, who is this guy? It was like creepy, you know? It was like, you're a totally different human. You know, you're a spiritually alive human being, and you never were before. It's exciting. So that's what we need to do. Let me ask you one last question. Maybe you're here, or maybe you're asking me, after hearing this, I just know that I'm not born again. What should I do? You wonder about that? You know, this is something the Holy Spirit does. If I know I'm not born again, what should I do? And you might think, you know, can I birth myself? Did you the first time? Okay. No, this is something the Holy Spirit does. So what can I do? Do I just sit around and wait for God to zap me? You know, if it's not something I can do for myself. Um, what should you do? Um, it's actually answered in the last part of this passage. So take a look at John 3, 13. And it's our last metaphor. It involves a snake. Here we go. Uh, verse 13, this is what you should do. It says, No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What in the world is Jesus talking about, right? What in the world is he talking about? Jesus is talking about how he's kind of like the snake Moses lifted up in the wilderness. Like, this seems like a very wild thing. 
And it's, uh, it, but it would be no confusion to Nicodemus. This comes from Numbers uh, 21. And it's a story where the Israelites, this is thousands of years before, the Israelites are wandering around the wilderness, and that's um, before they get to the promised land, and um, they're wandering because they were disobedient. It's kind of like your PE coach makes you do laps. God made them do 40 years of laps, okay? So you know they did something really bad. And so they're wandering around the wilderness, and they're grumpy, and they're complaining. You ever go camping? You ever go camping for 40 years? Okay. <laughs> You could complain, but that's no excuse. They're complaining. They complain um, in Numbers 21. They say, why have you brought us out into Egypt, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food or water here. And then they say, we loathe the worthless food. Okay, so they're like, you haven't given us food or water and we hate the food, <laughs> which is interesting. The interesting thing they're saying. Um, so what did God do? God sent to discipline his people fiery serpents. Okay, so he sends snakes out in the wilderness. And how many of you guys like snakes? I mean, like poisonous snakes. How many of you like camping with poisonous snakes? <laughs> Fiery serpents come. They bite the people. Some of them die. The people will go, okay, we're going to repent. They repent. Moses prays for them, and, he, and then this is what God tells Moses to do. He goes, make a bronze serpent, so a little snake statue, put it on a pole, put it up in the air, and whoever looks at the bronze serpent will live. Okay, and so that's what happened. They made this thing, and as, as a sign of their faith towards God, they would look to it and obey his directions, and then they were healed. And this is a weird image to make of Jesus, right? Because snakes are not beloved in the scriptures. What's the first snake in the scriptures? Satan, okay? So it's a really weird move for Jesus to go, I'm like a serpent lifted up in the wilderness. What's he doing? Why would he compare himself to something that's a symbol of evil? It's because on the cross, Jesus was treated as if he was pure evil. You guys realize that? On the cross, Jesus Christ was treated as if he was pure evil. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Imagine it. All the sins of all of Jesus' people credited to him. And as he's hanging there on the cross by his wrists and his feet, he is being seen by God as if he was the most evil person who had ever lived, even though he never sinned. He is. And, so he was, and he was lifted up on a pole, right? He was lifted up on a cross. And he, and he did that for you. It was your sin that placed him there. It was my sin that placed him there. He was seen as that serpent on a pole because of our sin. And just like the Israelites could just look to it and, and be healed... Um, we can look straight to Jesus. If we just look to him by faith, we, our whole record of sin will be instantly removed. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is saying, I am that snake. I am that snake on a pole, and if you look to me, I will take away your whole record of sin. And so I just ask you this morning, have you been bitten by sin? Has the snake bit you? You know, you just think about sin. It's a great image of sin because it's painful. You guys, if you want later and you're not going to eat, Look up a Google search of what like venomous snake bites look like. I mean, the hands get like gigantic. The skin's, I mean, it's horrible, right? It's a great image of sin. Sin makes us miserable. It messes up our life, but it's even worse, right? Because it's ultimately fatal. Our sin separates us from the living God such that in eternity, we will spend an eternity without him, reaping the consequences of our sin, guys. But the good news is, is that Jesus has been lifted up for you. Look to him and you'll be healed. And not only will you be forgiven, but you'll be given a new heart. I love this old hymn. I'll just close with this. There's an old hymn. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Which says this. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. 
That's what Jesus is offering this morning. That's what he offers to you. And you, you don't have to have excuses like, I'm too old, I've lived too long this way, or I have this kind of righteous life, or I have these people that I wouldn't want to know that I was following Jesus. You need to look to him. And you know, Nicodemus ultimately does believe. We're going to run into him at the end of the gospel. He ultimately does believe, and you know what he believes? He believes when he sees Jesus lifted up on the pole. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're thankful that... Uh, that what you offer us is not just a list of duties to somehow try and earn something where we never know if we're really done doing it. Lord, but you offer us a salvation that's completed. And not only do you offer us full forgiveness and a salvation that's completed, you actually also offer to complete us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would just leave this place with great hope, Trusting the fact that our debt is paid. Trusting the fact that you will gradually, over time, free us from our sin. From the entanglements of our sin. I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would enter Monday with fresh hope that you're going to transform us. That we would want to pursue change. To, to live out of this new heart. You've given us this amazing um, center of our being that could actually grow and change and, and be free. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to use it. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us how also to, to submit to you, the Holy Spirit living within us, that you would show us how does he reign in our hearts. Lord, help us to give up the keys to our life. Help us to hand it all over to you. You're a good God. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash menifee.